Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From The New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. The country's biggest rainstorm in recorded history heads east, surprising and overwhelming the smaller towns of Texas. And it was built on the edge of a swampy bayou. How, from the very beginning, Houston was made to flood. It's Thursday, August 31st. Wow, it's 10 o'clock. I'm dry, and I am really happy to report that my husband is with me and my dog. I've lived here for 30 years. This is the most rain I've ever seen. This is crazy. Please help. The water is getting up to our house. We're more than eight feet in the water. It's all surrounded. We don't have a way out. We have elders. We have kids. We keep hearing that they're going to come for us. Pray that our dams do not go. Because if the dams go, it's going to be really, really hard. There's more water coming. The problem starts for Houston almost the moment that it's founded. Richard Fossett covers the South for the Times. In the late 1830s, the city was founded by a pair of brothers, two New York uh, real estate speculators, founded uh, the city of Houston on the banks of a rather muddy bayou. So this is built on essentially like a, a swamp. Yeah, it's an extremely flat part of the world. Of course, it's in the path of hurricanes every year. And almost as soon as Houston was founded, it suffered a major flood that hmm. inundated every structure in the young city. From there, it suffered about 100 floods for the next century. And it has been struggling from its very inception to deal with the bad hand that geography and fate have dealt it. Wow. It's one of the most difficult places to, to build a boom town you can think of. But the city of Houston is booming. After the Second World War, you started seeing massive growth in the 1950s and particularly the 1960s. And so the growth just kept coming and coming and coming. Houston is a great place to do business. Anyone will tell you that. So Houston, at this point in its development, is lots of things. It's a port town. It's an arts and cultural hub. Uh, it's a banking center. We have never had a development and business community so broad, so robust, and so diverse 
But at its core, uh, it's an oil and gas town. And it's that petrochemical industry that has just been crucial to its growth uh, for many, many years. The Houston business climate is very strong. Houston's been able to weather the ups and downs of the national and global economies through a strong tie to the oil and gas business. And there's been a, a number of urban theorists who've looked to Houston as a real model for the way a city should work. Um, hmm. Developers kind of run the place. And there's not much tolerance for, for regulation in a way that you'd find along the coasts or in a place like California. All right, no city in the United States is growing faster in population than Houston. Uh, Harris County, Texas, which is of which Houston is a part, was the fastest growing county in the United States for something like eight of the last nine years. The U.S. Census Bureau says Houston, Harris County, led the nation by adding more than 90,000 people. Richard, what you're describing is kind of a a boom town that is growing despite this kind of watery underbelly that would seem like an incredible risk. That's true. And for people who lived in greater Houston, they had been receiving signals that something like this might happen for a few years. The catastrophic aftermath of record-breaking deadly floodwaters in Houston, Texas, revealed this morning. On Memorial Day of 2015, they suffered a very bad flood. Well, the storm's death toll continuing to climb today with the discovery of a six victim. The next year, uh, what was called the Tax Day Flood in April 2016, uh, another devastating flood. It's been a staggering week of flooding. Eight people have died, some trapped in their cars, submerged in the fast-rising water. Officials say more than 240 billion gallons of rain have fallen on the Houston area. That's enough to fill more than 360,000 Olympic-sized pools. And the city has been, for the last few years, been trying to figure out what it's done wrong. After World War II in the 1950s and 60s, you saw the beginning of really serious urban and suburban growth. And two of the many bayous that crisscross Greater Houston were channelized. They were basically turned into massive concrete culverts. And there was a thought at the time that this would help with the drainage flow. And there was robust building uh, along their banks and all around. Uh, but by the 1980s, a number of other really bad storm events led people to realize that they basically didn't know what they were doing and that the system they built just wasn't working. The development had paved over the wetlands and the prairies, and they began to fear that they were making the problem worse. Plenty of people have been looking for someone or something to blame. So just why does Houston keep flooding? Yeah, well, now we have learned that one of the problems is right beneath our feet. One of the areas where Houston is seeing a lot of development right now is, is an area on the northwestern flank of Greater Houston known as the Katy Prairie. There is a place where icons still roam and ranching and farming heritage are tightly bound. And once upon a time, a this had been a long grass prairie that had absorbed 
a lot of the rainwater from a major event like this. These days, it's full of strip malls and schools and convenience stores and malls. The future looks bright for the city of Katy, which is partly why residents may soon be getting a brand new multi-million dollar convention center. Tell us about what kind of economic development is happening today in Katy, Texas. Well, real estate is huge. Uh, things are still booming. Land is abundant. Check out this Bucky's car wash in Katy. It's planning to be the world's largest or longest car wash there. And the water that used to pool up uh, in the grasslands now basically has nowhere to go. This 80-acre pond seems like it's in the middle of a sweeping Texas prairie, but it's in the middle of Katy, next to Homes and the Mall. And it's where the city is hoping to build a boardwalk, a 55,000-square-foot convention center. The city owns the lake. And so what happens when it rains and the water hits those areas? Well, what happens is what we've seen on television. Houston got no break today from relentless storms. Heavy rains kept rivers and creeks swollen. Houston, let's keep it real. Our concrete jungle with all the pavement makes for a nightmare scenario when Mother Nature turns nasty. When rain falls, it has nowhere to go. And nowhere to go except into neighborhood streets and people's homes. The metro area's development has exploded, replacing soil-rich wetlands that could absorb water with concrete-covered suburbia. Wetlands and prairie lands are really important. They're nature's way of absorbing floodwaters. They allow the water to percolate and filter down uh, into the soil as opposed to just running off the way they would if they hit, you know, a Walmart parking lot. And they also serve to delay the movement of water in some cases. So the more concrete you pour, the more you have to deal with uh, fast-moving water. So every bit of this kind of open land that is taken away potentially causes a lot more problems down the line. Richard, what kind of zoning is there? And I guess we should define that word, but the, the notion that that there's a pretty centralized system of thinking about what gets built and where and rules that govern it. So the city of Houston, famously or infamously, doesn't have uh, zoning the way most cities do. And so one of the hallmarks of, of Houston life within the city is the sort of block that has the strip joint next to the Baptist church, next to the Quickie Mart. So this idea that Houston is not zoned is relevant to the disaster unfolding in that it reflects a kind of laissez-faire and libertarian streak in Texas consciousness. But really, the broader issue is that Greater Houston now encompasses so much more than the city of Houston itself. There's this patchwork of town governments and city governments and county governments. Floodwater doesn't care what municipality mm. you live in. So you can have a poorly planned neighborhood 10 miles from you that may be the reason why your house in the city of Houston is flooding. And there's very little you can do about it. Just how irresponsible has this building and planning been? I mean, it feels like this had to have been some sort of a calculation about, you know, the economic benefits of just letting a place grow really fast sure. versus an awareness that, that it could all come home to roost. Well, people have been grappling with it and ringing alarm bells for, for many, many years, especially as the surface of the oceans has been warming and potentially creating much stronger, much wetter, much more powerful and much more damaging 
storms. The problem is that Houston's success in so many ways is based on the fact that it's just decided to go and go and grow limitlessly. That means you can buy a house for very little money. Mm. And this has really been one of the the main reasons why it's been so difficult to put a break uh, on all the construction. You mentioned the idea of of people raising alarm bells. And I want to just talk about that for, for a minute. There was, in the case of Katrina, an incredible amount of ominous writing and debating in retrospect about the risks. Is is that something you're finding has already happened in Houston? Yes, this debate has been very vigorous in Houston. The alarm bells have been rung by all kinds of people, by hydrologists, by urban planners, by environmentalists. The human development is what's really driving uh, and exacerbating flood losses over time. Now, very often by people living in neighborhoods that weren't flooding just three or four years ago, but are now flooding over and over and over again. And so what happens now? How does all of this affect the aftermath and the recovery from the storm? Well, much like in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, you have people talking now about neighborhoods that perhaps shouldn't come back. As we know from Katrina, this can be a very contentious process. It can be very ugly. It's incredibly wrenching. Very, yeah, it's very hard to do. Once you've built a community, you can't really unbuild it. Hmm. But there is an optimistic strain right now in the response to Harvey. There are a lot of people who look at Houston and its tradition of oil patch geniuses and look at it as the place that put... Uh, a man on the moon, and look at it as a place that's leaning ever forward and thinking about the future and thinking that they might be able to engineer their way out of this. There's a force that you can feel right now. People are pulling together, and a lot of people think that not only will Houston uh, come through this, but but perhaps even think their way out of this. Could Houston have become the city that it is, the fourth largest in the country, with the kind of growth it's experienced without taking these risks? Well, this is the great question, and this is a question that's much bigger than Houston. It's a question that urban theorists are talking about all the time. If you place limits on growth, then you have fewer homes very often. If you have fewer homes, they become more expensive, and that forces people out. And if you're a working-class person or a middle-class person, if you're a welder or you own a little store, uh, if you're a recent immigrant or if you're a longtime resident of the United States who would really be struggling to get by in the San Francisco's of the world, uh, in Houston, you have a place. And the people who look at Houston as a great model for not only the American present but the American future um, – say that the untrammeled growth was a big part of that. It's Mm. allowed people to pursue the American dream and uh, have a stake. You have a place to set up. You have a home. Richard, thank you very much. See you back. Okay, bye. As the sun finally came out in Houston on Wednesday, after nearly a week of pounding rain, The storm traveled east, across more than 300 towns and cities in rural Texas, and toward the Louisiana state line, with flooding and rain reaching up to 47 inches. While we are dealing with uh, what is now 
receding waters in Harris County uh, and the ongoing uh, evacuation uh, as, as well as uh, safety rescue process in Harris County. We're now also dealing with uh, catastrophic conditions uh, in southeast Texas. The governor, Greg Abbott, said the state would immediately deploy far more members of the National Guard to southeast Texas. The worst is not yet over for southeast Texas as far as the rain is concerned. Uh, There will be ongoing challenges both during the time that rain continues to fall as well as for approximately four days to a week to come. Specifically, flooding conditions that will continue to be a challenge for people in the area. Police in Beaumont, Texas, said they had received more than 700 calls for rescue, and departments there were overwhelmed by the need for help. On Wednesday, a toddler was rescued in the waters there, clinging to the body of her 41-year-old mother. By the end of the day, the number of deaths attributed to the storm had reached at least 38. Had a quick check of my home. Uh, Looks like we got it. Four feet of water, three and a half feet of water. Um, It's just a lake in here. A little bit over knee high right now. In the neighboring town of Port Arthur, the mayor, Derek Freeman, posted a video on Facebook as he toured his own flooded living room. But we're going to rebuild Port Arthur. This isn't the end, this is just the beginning. This is the post and pre moment. Wow. Pray for our city. Yep. We got some water, y'all. Harvey wasn't playing. When an emergency shelter in Port Arthur itself started flooding, a bowling alley was transformed into a refuge for about 500 people. The shelter started to flood around 1 a.m., maybe 2. It almost looks like something out of a movie. It doesn't seem like it's something that's real. Officials worry that many places in the region are inaccessible by car or boat. Crystal Holmes, a captain of the county sheriff's department, told the Times, for every rescue accomplished, there seem to be more who need help. We are just as devastated as the Houston area, she said. We have so many citizens that are trapped inside their homes. Eventually, we will get to them, but we just don't know if we're going to be able to get to them in time. We'll be right back. Wells Fargo is proud to be by the side of women and diverse small business owners leading the way to recovery. Their drive to pivot their business is showing others the way. Wells Fargo is donating roughly $420 million in grants through the Open for Business Fund that provides support to nonprofit organizations that support small businesses impacted by COVID-19. Find out more at wellsfargo.com together. Here's what else you need to know today. We're here today to launch our plans to bring back Main Street by reducing the crushing tax burden on our companies and on our workers. 
On Wednesday, President Trump began laying out his plan to overhaul the U.S. tax code, saying it would include cuts for businesses, investors, and the wealthiest, as well as reductions for the middle class. That is why tax reform must dramatically simplify the tax code, eliminate special interest loopholes. And I'm speaking against myself when I do this, I have to tell you. And I might be. The president, who has admitted to paying little or no federal income taxes for years, said he wants to eliminate the kind of tax breaks that have benefited him. It's crazy. We're speaking, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, you know? But we're doing the right thing. Trump urged Congress to quickly adopt his plan. But the Times reports that after months of private negotiations with House and Senate leaders, his administration has yet to draft the legislation. So this is our once-in-a-generation opportunity to deliver real tax reform for everyday, hardworking Americans. And I am fully committed to working with Congress to get this job done. And I don't want to be disappointed by Congress. Do you understand me? Do you understand? <laughs> understand. Congress. I think Congress is going to make a comeback. I hope so. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.